Psalm 13. The Psalm of David. It begins, How long will thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. How long, O Lord? How long? Charles Spurgeon said, we've been wont to call this the how long song. Um, he said he almost called it the howling song for the repetition of the cry, how long, how long? It is a very sad song there at the beginning whenever we stop and think about what's happening or we stop and consider the words and try to uh, piece together what might have been going on in David's life. Of course, we don't know. We don't know the situation that he was in. We don't know the occasion for such sorrow, but we sure know how he feels. And if we've never had occasion to sing Psalm 13, um, and I know that we all have, um, it won't be long before we'd have to sing it again. That's just the way of this world. We live in a world that is cursed, and because of that curse, there's pain and, and trials and suffering and sorrow. And what Psalm 13 does is captures David's heart in a time of, of great grief. And we see him working through that by faith. We see how he takes this sorrow, this almost inexpressible sorrow, and works through it. And, and so why would the Lord give us such a psalm? Well, these types of things help us in our own lives to, to, to work through um, the trials that, that we're in and to think rightly about um, about our situations. The first, you can break it down really into every two verses. So the first two verses are four how longs. Uh, the next two verses are a prayer into God, a petition, and there's um, two lests, but really three um, there. So you got three less, less I sleep, less my enemy, and less those that trouble me rejoice. So there's three reasons for his prayer. And then the last two verses are, are praise. So it goes from the, the mourning of sorrow to the prayer for, for deliverance, and then praise of, of faith. So those first two verses, there's four how longs. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide from me? How long will I take counsel in my heart having this daily sorrow? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? 
sorrow seems like it drags on and on and on. Whenever there's any kind of suffering or sickness, um, trials, it seems like it just never will end. I read there was an old proverb that said sickness comes on horseback but leaves on foot. That it comes in quickly and seems like it stays and just stays and stays and stays. All trials are like that. It seems like they can come out of nowhere and it takes an awful long time for them to leave. That we know that no matter what's going on, a minute's always going to be 60 seconds. But it sure does feel longer whenever we're being tried or tempted. It seems like each moment just lasts forever and ever and ever. Sometimes we'll have a fellowship meeting. It seems like it just comes and goes so fast. Hard to believe that it's over so quickly. Or I remember when we first moved away and, and we come back for Thanksgiving or mom would come down and visit. Um, it would seem like that they, she got there and it's time for her to turn around or, or we would get back home and, and it was just time to turn around and leave. It'd just go by just, just in the blink of an eye. But waits in the doctor office or when you're on the sick bed or, or whenever you're dealing with some temptation, those don't seem to fly by so fast. And that's the way, that's what David is going through right here. How long? How long is this going to last? Forever? That's what it felt like to him. It felt like forever. It felt like it was never ending. We don't know what was going on in David's life when he wrote this psalm, but whatever was happening, he felt like it was the end of the world and it was never going to end. It was a dark night of the soul. And he felt forsaken. He felt forgotten. He felt like he was in such a bind that he'd never break free. It seems like you know, some people battle with depression and battle with uh, being, being overcome with, with grief and, and depression. Sometimes you don't even know why. don't even know why the sorrow hits or what the cause of it is. But, but life just becomes like it's in slow motion. And everybody else in the world is going about their life having a good old happy time. But it feels like your life has just hit pause. And, and life has just gone on without you and you can't. You can't break free, and how long will I be here? How long will I be forgotten? There was no sign of relief, no hope for deliverance. It's the way he felt anyway. There was no end in sight. <laughs> well, have you ever felt like this? I've felt like this before, many times. David was a man of faith, a mighty man of God, this, the slayer of Philistines, the king of Israel, the sweet psalmist. The man who led the children of Israel in, in worship. The man who uh, was the apple of God's eye. Yeah, here he is, overwhelmed, anxious, fretful, and despairing. These men and women in the scriptures are not superheroes. They're people just like us. They were not immune to the trials and temptations of the human nature. David, for all of his faith and all of his walking with God and, and seeing the power of God and the blessing of God, was still a, a fallen man with a human nature, susceptible to all the, 
the doubt and fear and anxiety that you and I experience. And God allowed David to endure this, and then he, he inspired him as he wrote this psalm that you and I can come in and, and read this and, and know that uh, this is the human experience. And we can, we can hear this, these, these words that um, God has given us, that we can come along and, and not only understand the words, but we can understand the situation, we can understand the, the meaning here. So the first thing we can do when we read psalms of lament like this is, is take comfort that we're not alone. We can read this and say, I know what that is. I know what that feels like. And some strange, unknown thing hasn't come upon me that hasn't come upon anybody else. That King David felt as I feel and, and other children of God have felt as I feel. So these how longs express a common feeling among, among uh, men and women who have to live in a fallen world with our fallen human nature. It also shows different angles at which um, the, the sorrows of this life can attack us. So there was four how longs, but also a, a threefold recipe for disaster. One commentator said there was the divine remoteness. How long, O oh Lord, have you forgotten me? You're hiding from me. The personal indecision. How long shall I take counsel in my own soul? Uncertainty. And then the human enmity. His enemies attacking him. So there was a supernatural aspect, a personal aspect, and the circumstances of his life. All three hitting him all at once. And that's a recipe for disaster. It'd be bad enough if you just had circumstances in your life that were going bad. But add to that personal anxiety, indecision, not knowing what to do, your, your plans to get you out of the situation or failing, and then add to that the spiritual aspect that you feel uh, distant from God and you feel that as if, you feel as if God is forsaken and you pray and, and, and you just feel that as if uh, God isn't hearing your prayers. So that's a, just a recipe for, for disaster here. How long will you forgive me, O Lord? In the trial, David felt like David, or God had forsaken him. David's been left behind. And he's lying there suffering, stuck in the mire of his own misery. He's left behind, forgotten of God. How long will you forget me? I'm here, Lord, suffering, and you've forgotten me. You forgot about me to help me and to, to provide for me and to deliver me. How long will this last? Not only did David feel forgotten, but he felt forsaken. How long will you, thou hide thy face from me? David cries out, but his prayers go unanswered. He's lost the joy and assurance of former days. He doesn't know which way to turn, and all seems lost. And it seems as if not only God has forgotten him, but he's also hiding his face from him. You might say, well, how could God forget 
and then also hide his face. You know, one would seem intentional, and the other would seem just being uh, forgetful. Well, this is not uh, this is not a logical way to think, anyway. But how often is sorrow? I mean, how can you go to someone and and, and point out logical things whenever we're we're depressed or full of sorrow? He he just pouring out his heart here. He's not saying these are the things the way things are, but this is the way he feels them to be. All seems lost. He feels like God has forgotten about him. He feels like God has forsaken him. He feels like God's not listening to his prayers. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? So David has plans to end his misery and end his relief, and everything he's tried doesn't work. And so he just carries around the sorrow in his heart all the time. He tries this, and it doesn't work, and he tries that, and it makes it worse. And, he, and nothing he does, no plan that he makes can fix it. And he's rolling that plan around over and over again in his mind, having this sorrow in his heart daily. How long shall I counsel in my soul? So he's, he, he's uh, just rolling around this problem in his mind that he can't solve it over and over and over, and he can't stop thinking about it. The grief is ever-present. Time feels like it's standing still. Something has to be done, but something can't be done. He doesn't know what to do. He has to do something. This plan didn't work. That plan didn't work. What am I going to do? How can I stop this? The Lord has forgotten me. And it was just a heavy sorrow, and he couldn't get rid of it. Daily, day after day after day, he carries this with him. If it would just hurry up and, and be over, but then how long time is, has, is standing still? You probably know this feeling, I'm sure. You talk to yourself about the trial, and then uh, you talk more to yourself and, and roll this over and, and go about it again and again. You try to hammer out what to do and, and what's happening. Alec Mortar said it's the tendency to retire in a corner and talk to ourselves about ourselves. Why, why does that happen? Well, when you're in pain, that is what is primary. When, when you're hurting, that's where all the focus goes. And whether it's a physical problem, a spiritual problem, an emotional problem, Whatever it is, that usually takes the precedent of what gets our focus and our attention. How long? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? So David's sorrows are coming also from an enemy who's defeated him some, in some way. There's a face to the trial, and he's exalting himself over David, and that just makes everything else worse. Here is an enemy exalting himself. Someone who, someone who is taking advantage of David in some way, exalted himself over him, and then here's somebody that seemingly from the outside looks like he's being blessed at David's expense. His blessing is coming from David's sorrow. He's being exalted over him. 
So now it seems like God has forsaken him. The enemies of God, or most times the enemies of David were the enemies of God. And so here the enemies of David are being exalted, having what they want in this life, while David, it comes at David's expense. He can't stop thinking about it. He's carrying this around in his heart. He counsels with himself and his soul, and he can't find any relief. And it all makes the matters worse, and it's all come to head. How long? How long? Well, let's stop for a moment and make a distinction here about what's going on. Because what we have here is what is being felt, but not necessarily what is, be, what is true. And there is a big difference between what's felt and what's true. David's not telling us what was true here. He's telling us how he feels. And we have to, we have to at least recognize that. In our own hearts, we have to recognize what we feel isn't necessarily what is true. So David's telling us how he feels. He's pouring his heart out here. He's not putting on a, a good face. I mean, you might have went up to David and said, Hey, David, how you doing? Well, pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. You might have went home and then wrote this song for all we know. That's what we would do maybe anyway. It's not the face that he's putting on for everybody else. This is a true account of how he feels, but it's not a true account of what's happening. His trial, it feels like it's been going on forever. It feels like it's been going on for eternity. David feels like this trial will never end, and he feels like God has forgotten it. It feels like God has forsaken him, and it feels like everything he has ever done to resolve this situation is not only pointless, but there's no way out. And it feels like his enemy will go on and on and on like this forever. And maybe if we knew the situation, it might look like that too. And maybe in our, in our trials, maybe from all appearances, what we feel might be what it looks like. So if we were David's friend... And David says, it just feels like God has forgotten about me. I just got this sorrow in my heart, and it just feels like it's never going to end. My enemies are exalting over me, and, and this is just, I don't see any way out of this. And you might be looking at David's situation, and you think, well, I don't see any way out of it either. I, you know, I don't know. And you, you know, you might not know what to say to David. What would you say to him? Because, because the way David feels is the way everything looks, <coughs> right? But what is true? That's what we we want to look at now. We want to make this. We want to think some theological truths at this point in the message. And so, Dave, what David says is how he truly feels. But is that what is true? We know that trials are appointed by God, but we also know that they don't last forever. 
We know that. How long, O oh Lord? How long? These things are never going to end. This hurt is never going to stop. These trials are never going to end. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into the praise and the honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. David felt like this trial was going to go on forever. How long? How long? How long? That's how he felt, but what's the truth here? The truth is that trials of our faith are only last for a season. That's what is true. That they, they might feel like they go on forever, but it's not forever. The truth is that it lasts for a little while. And the truth is they're there because God has ordained that it's needed. The truth is they're there not because you've just wandered in in a, a world that's out of control. But they're there because they've been appointed for a purpose. And so as David felt forgotten and forsaken and that this trial was going to go on forever, the truth of the matter is trials have a predetermined purpose for a predetermined period of time that they're going to go on and then they're going to stop. And then one day when Christ comes back, there won't be any trials at all. That's the truth. That doesn't take away from the way David feels, but the theological, the truth of the matter is, how he feels doesn't match up with what is true. All right, the second thing is, that leads us to our second truth, that God has not forgotten or forsaken you. David felt forgotten of God and forsaken, but that's not even possible. In Psalm 15, another psalm of David David says that, uh, that God knows all things. Well, it's Psalm uh, 147. That's the wrong one. Psalm 147, uh, 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Now how is God, whose understanding is infinite, going to forget something? It's not possible for the all-knowing God to forget something. It doesn't even make sense if we just think about what the Bible tells us about God. And David knew that. David knew that God knew all things, and knows all things, and controls all things. The only thing the Bible says that God won't remember is our sins. And those have been paid for by Christ Jesus. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. God is not unrighteous to forget his people. See, the mighty one is on our side. And so, God hasn't forgotten you because it's not possible for him to do so, God wouldn't forget you 
because it's not possible as the covenant-keeping God has promised to be with you. It is God's promise that he won't forsake us, that we can take comfort in these, in these words. So the very nature of God, the very nature of our Lord, his perfections make it impossible for, for him to forget us or to forsake us or leave us behind. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? O Jehovah, I am that I am. Will forget us? No, it's impossible. Did it feel like it to David? Yes. In that moment, it felt like it. But is it true? No, it's not true. Well, that leads us to the next theological truth to remember that the Lord has ordained our steps. Now, predestination is a comforting doctrine to us because we might not know what to do in a certain situation. So he's taking counsel in his soul back and forth. Doesn't know what to do. He's anxious. We might turn decisions over and over in our mind. We might be afraid to make the wrong decision, make the wrong choice, overwhelmed in anxiety, not knowing what to do, not knowing which way to turn. But our God has ordered our steps. And if we put God first, if we've considered what is best and, and, and best for us and, and prayed and sought the scriptures, we can trust that our plans, though they seem like they won't do anything, will work according to God's plan for our good. So David, taking counsel in his soul, back and forth, back and forth, carrying that sorrow. But the theological truth is God has ordained our steps. And we might struggle about what to do and, and where to go and, and pray. And, and it feels like that, well, if I make the wrong choice, all is lost. But the truth is God loves his people. The truth is God has ordered our steps from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the world. And that God is not going to forsake us. That's the truth. That's the theological truth. Did David feel... Did David feel the weight of this? Did David feel like there was no answer? Yes. That's, that's truly how he felt. But the truth of the reality of the situation is God was not going to forsake him. And that, that sorrow that he carries in his heart, that anxiety, um, was, was uh, not going to change anything. You see, that, that his sorrow that all was lost was misplaced because all was not lost. Well, what about our enemies? Well, maybe our troubles are from without. Well, are they stronger than God? Are they more powerful than the Lord Jesus Christ? Can they outwit the Lord of glory? No. And so, because this is such a desperate cry, in desperate situation. I wanted to, to compare that with what the Bible says is truth about God and his people. Because it's important to have these theological truths in the sunshine so you can rest in them in the night. 
it's important to have these truths grounded in your mind. So whenever the dark night comes, you're not trying to figure out what you believe about God. We're trying to figure out what you believe about God's sovereignty. It's much better to have the sovereignty of God as your comfort and your stay in times of great sorrow than to be feel like you're, you're lost without those truths to hang on to. Well, here's where the psalm turns. Verse 3 is where it starts to turn around. We get the, the three lests. When we, he says, hear my prayer. Consider me, or consider and hear me. O Lord my God, lighten my eyes. So David asked God to hear him. And he calls out to Jehovah his God, the God who has promised salvation. The covenant-keeping God. David's God. And even though he feels like he's been forgotten, notice it is to Jehovah he cries out to. How long will you forget me, O Jehovah? And then verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Jehovah my God, O Lord my God. It is the the covenant-keeping God that he cries out to. Even though David feels like he's been forgotten, he goes to God in prayer. Even though he feels like he's been forsaken, he makes his request known. So that tells you David felt one way and believed another. If God had forgotten him, then why was he praying to him? If God was hiding from him, why was he making these requests? If God had left him aside, then why did he cry out to the God who keeps his promises? So David felt one way, but thought one way maybe, but believed another way. So what David <laughs> knew about God was different than what he felt at this time. So this is where he starts to turn. His, his actions are, are no longer hanging on his feelings, but, but what he knows to be true. It's no longer residing in his, his emotional state, but it's starting to cling to what he knows and what he believes. He prays that God would enlighten his eyes, give him eyes of faith to see Give him the right perspective. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, lighten my eyes. Turn the light on. Help me to see what is true. Help me to look beyond the present trial to see that you are God, that you are my Lord and my Savior and my Deliverer. Help me to, to see what is real rather than to see only what is right before me, to see what I'm feeling, to see the present situation. Help me to look to you. Turn the lights on. Open my eyes. Illumine me to, the, to your truth. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Because if I don't, I'm not going to make it. If I'm left to myself, if I'm left to my own 
power and my own understanding to, to keep myself going, I'm not going to make it. I can't make it. Oh Lord, consider me. Hear me. Answer my prayer. Give me eyes of faith to see or I'm not going to make it. He's overcome and overwhelmed, but he has faith that God's going to keep him. David also prays for God's glory. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I'm moved. So like I said, most of the time David's enemies was God's enemies because David was the king of Israel and they hated the king because they hated the king. So to destroy David, to attack David was to attack God's man, God's king, God's anointed. And David says, help me, Lord, hear me. Lest my enemies will say why I beat the king of Israel. I have overcome God's man. And then those enemies of God rejoice and they're overcoming the plan of God. So David's working this out theologically. David was the king. David, if he wrote this during the time of his king, but if not, he was still the anointed of God, promised to be the king. God had promised David that throne. That was the plan of God. And if the enemies prevail over him, where they rejoice over him whenever he's set aside, then the plan of God has failed. The Lord, for your own sake, don't forget me. God would not go back on his word. I think that's the heart of this promise. What would happen if we were to lose our salvation? The God who promised didn't do what he said. The God who promised was overcome by his enemies. No, the scriptures tell us well, who can lay any charge against God's elect. God will not forsake his people. He will not leave us aside. He will not turn. There's no shadow cast by the Lord. He is not a God who turns. And so Hear me lest I die. Hear me lest your enemies win. Hear me lest they rejoice over my fall. Well, now it turns to the praise. Verses 5, there's three praises here. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because it is dealt bountifully with me. So with that prayer, David turns to praise. Not because his prayers have been answered. But because of faith, he's resting in the promises of his God. So, I have trusted in thy mercy. That's past tense. And so now his heart shall rejoice, and he will sing, because God hath dealt bountifully with me. So, David trusted, past tense, in the mercy of God. He will rejoice, he will sing, because the Lord has already dealt bountifully and does deal bountifully with him. So that first praise is him trusting in God's mercy. David's trusting in and putting his confidence in and resting in the covenant mercy and faithfulness of God. He's not trusting in his 
feelings. He's not resting in things that are starting to get better even. Nothing has changed. Except David has turned his focus upon what is true. And he's believing in the mercy of God. I have trusted in thy mercy. I have trusted in your covenant faithfulness. I have trusted in your promises and your truthfulness to keep your promise and your faithfulness to do what you say. I don't deserve I don't deserve to be lifted up. All I can ask for is mercy. I don't deserve repayment. All I can ask for is mercy. He might say that he doesn't look and point to all the things that he has done. No, I'm going to trust not in my works and not in my goodness and, and not in the luck of the universe, but I've trusted in your mercy. That's where I'm going to rest. That's where we have to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we just have to rest in his mercy. We just have to stop and, and rely upon the mercy of the Almighty God. He's faithful but promised. He is faithful to do what he says. And just trust in his mercy, in his kindness, in his faithfulness, in his goodness. For here we are, broken sinners in a fallen world. And our trials and sufferings can just crush us. And here the Almighty can look down upon us, weak and frail people, and show us mercy. And show us compassion. And look at David. And the Almighty looks down and David feels like he's forgotten him. And does the Lord crush David for daring to say that the Almighty is forgotten? Does the Lord squash him like a bug because he's said, well, how long will you hide your face from him? No, here's his father comforting David and having mercy upon David and how the Lord is patient with us and how he's long-suffering with us and how he's merciful with us. Should David have thought like that and said those things? Well, like I said, David's just telling us how he felt. That's how he truly felt. Whether it was true or not, that's what he felt like. But he trusted in God's mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Despite our trials, we are safe in Christ. I was reading from Jude this afternoon, and um, Jude bookends his little letter with, with the protection and the, pers- the preservation of God's people. So he talks about the mercy, where he says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved, preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. So there we are kept by God. We are kept by the Lord. We are preserved in Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the letter, he says, Now 
Well, in verse 21, he says, keep yourself in the love of God. And then verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And if you read in the middle, there's false teachers and, and wicked men who don't keep themselves. They, they, are, they are reserved for judgment. But we who are saved by God and preserved in Jesus Christ are safe because we, he is able to keep us from falling. Despite our trials, we are in the hands of God, called of God, chosen of God, sanctified by God, preserved in Christ Jesus. Let us buy the in Christ Jesus. And we come to him who is able to keep us. He will keep us. And so as David considers these truths, his heart rejoices in God's salvation. Lord, you will save me. You will keep me. You will deliver me. We are secure in Christ. He has purchased our pardon, shed his blood for our sins, and we have everlasting life. We are loved of God, and he will no wise cast us out. And we can rejoice in God's salvation, because that is true. Then he sings unto the Lord, because he's dealt bountifully with us. Now his sorrow has turned to song. His prayer has turned to praise. And now he looks and says, you know, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. At the beginning of the song, God has forgotten me. God's hiding his face from me. At the end of the song, praise be to the Lord. He's dealt bountifully with me. Now there's a truth. There's some truths that he has that he's praising God in. That God is merciful. That God has saved him. And that God has dealt bountifully with him. Just stop and think about what you have in Christ Jesus. And what you have now. What you've been given and what you have in eternity. Everlasting life promise of the resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth, the joy and the bliss of everlasting happiness and peace, that God is with you, his spirit indwells you, Christ, you have fellowship with Christ, you have fellowship with the Father. God has dealt bountifully with, with us. And that's the truth. Despite being in the deepest sorrow, God is good to us. David felt like God had forgotten him, but I think David was the one who had forgotten God, or at least forgotten these truths about God. And it was his prayer and his consideration in the nature and the being of his God that got him back on the right track. That God had blessed him through this prayer by reminding him who he is. We're reminded weekly of what the Lord has done for us on this first day of the week. Our Lord who knows what it feels like to suffer in humanity, who knows how suffering can feel like you're forsaken. So Jesus was not forsaken on the cross because he is the eternal son. But he knows what it feels like to be forsaken. 
David wasn't forsaken of God here, but, he, but that's what he felt like. He himself, who was surrounded and hated by his enemies on every side, Jesus Christ, was mocked and beaten and spit upon. He who was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him to death and was heard and that he feared. Though he were a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered and became, and being perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Knows a thing or two about suffering and sorrow and hardships and trials and pain. He who offered up strong crying and tears is our great high priest. Is the one who mediates for us. Is the one who promises not to forsake us. Is the one who provides salvation for us. Is the one who shows us mercy and compassion. Why did he suffer those things? That we would be delivered from sin and death. That we'd be rescued for our great enemy, death. That we'd be delivered from our own sin and our um, forsakenness in uh, following after the ways of the devil. When we're in great trials, we, we must, we have to look to Jesus. We have to. He's able to hear our cries. He's able to answer our prayers. He's a sympathetic to his people, a faithful high priest who will not abandon his people. He will not abandon you, child of God. This faithful high priest loves his own. Jesus loves his people. Child of God, Jesus loves you. And he would not abandon you. And he will not forsake you. And he will not leave you aside. Despite how you might feel, Remember what is true. Remember what is true about your salvation. Remember what is true about Jesus. And rest in those promises. Trust in his mercy. Rejoice in his salvation. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Trust and rest in Christ. Because he cares for you.